This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And it's we're back for another rousing discussion this week in educational triage. And this week I'm joined with Philip Summers. Aloha. Aloha back. And this week we are looking at how to create or build a great alternative high school program or school. And I this week I want to to focus in on just the foundation of of whatever that program is. And just to get everything started off, I just kind of want to make this one editorial comment, which is whenever an administrator goes into a program, they need to take a look and see what the foundations of that program are. And it doesn't matter if they're in a regular high school or if they're looking at an alternative high school, they need to know what is going on and how it best serves the students, the community, and how the staff are taken care of and taking care of themselves because the administrative function is to support that program. So, um, and these are just, this is almost like a tech list and for people to follow. And if you are a teacher or if you're an administrator or you're even a parent, these are things, these are great questions for you to ask about your program and just to take a look and figure out um, how things run because everybody should have, be a stakeholder in those programs. So, uh, Philip. Um, yes. Hello. If we're going to build something, it doesn't matter if it's public or if it's private. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a look at something. And so I think that the first the first tick on our list is going to be how do you, you know, what's the ultimate goal or what is your, what's the guidance or the guiding principle of the program? Well, before I start with that, I I really commend you for saying that you wanted to just start with the simple stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, what the foundation, I think you called it. And yeah, yeah, simplicity is hard. (laughs) We all want to analyze and be experts, but um, mm-hmm. I learned from the very beginning, like the simple concepts of the programs, the program, you know, all the programs, actually, there were different kinds, but they just serve kind of different roles, basically the same way. And that really kept my focus. It really kept um, a North Star, the Southern mm-hmm. Cross. We knew which, which way we were going and where we were always going. I remember right. one of our staff members would always say, yeah, what's good for the kids? Is this Whatever about the kids? is best for the students. Yes. Yeah. He goes, is this about the kids? You know, he always says, is this best for the kids? And that is always a way to go. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yes. No, wait a minute. No, it was really good. But yeah, what's one of the things that you want to do is um, you want to make sure you have relationships. And um, that mm-hmm. that's critical, critical, critical. Um, it reminds me of a story um, I was asked once that the, there was a new site being put in and it was fancy and new and it was next door and it was designed to serve more students than we had served before. And I was asked if I, how I thought it was going to be. And I said, I don't think I'm going to like it. And the person asked me why. And I said, had you ever, ever heard of Dunbar's number? And they, they looked at me mm-hmm. quizzically and said, no. And I said, well, it's a number of about 100. Uh, us humans kind of, we kind of hang out with about a hundred people. 
our communities are about a hundred. You know, it's about as many people as we keep a, a tab on. You know, is it a hundred or a hundred and fifty? It can be a hundred and fifty, but a hundred's a pretty good number. Where okay. it's it's somewhere in there, but you know, how about a, yeah, where you you get you know everybody. You don't mm -hmm. over that you break off into subgroups and form kind of unmanageable cliques and societies and subgroups and those kinds of little things. And, and if you've ever seen, you know, high school do that, there are, you know, I went to high school where there were four cliques that I knew of. And when you look back on it, so many more, but that's what happens with high schools when they get over those, that hundred, 125, 150, maybe Mark, they break mm -hmm. into cliques. They start going to sites. They start claiming territory and those kids claim kid territory and mm -hmm. administrators, they claim administrative territories and the teachers. It becomes sort of a sub-society and we manage to avoid that in our small environment. And it, unfortunately, once that building went in and all those students came in, from what I hear, that's exactly what occurred. They all broke into their sub-societies. That's what humans do. We, and Dunbar's number is somewhere between the 100 and 150. And we just do that as humans. Right. And, yeah. So if you build your big school, what you get is just, you know, clicks and little societies running around, just like a little city. They do all that stuff mm -hmm. that little cities do. Yeah, it's ugly. <laughs> it's really kind of weird, but true. Okay. Yeah. That's a really good point. It really is. Um, so you want to keep the numbers small. Yeah, you want to be intimate. You got to have those mm -hmm. relationships, relationships. Yeah. Right. And most of the programs that I've worked in, the, the numbers were generally under 100 anyway. Yeah. I, I believe because you want to, I, it depends on how many teachers. And I think in one program we had seven teachers and the teachers, they still had prep periods. And but each one of them had 12 students that they were that they guided. And mm -hmm. that number 12 was really important. And so we had seven teachers. So that would be what, 84 students. And oh. I think I don't think we ever went over 100. And we had all kinds of different things for them to be involved in. But all of us were advocates for those students, which meant that we did different kinds of groups. We did different kinds of outings. And so it was very much relationship based. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that that's a really good place to start because if we have that and we know that we're going to be relational because we know that relationships is what will build a sense of belonging. Yeah. And for a lot of those students, they don't have that. So, but yeah. your ultimate, but your ultimate goal of the program is for students to find success in some way for them to feel a sense of belonging perhaps and stop me if i'm wrong because i know that there's more that could go with this but you also want them to be able to feel the sense of achievement don't you and accountability okay they Good really one. want that and they want to know where they're at you know kids are always asking what's my grade what's my grade well what they're really seeking is, how am I doing? How am I going to get to the next place? And that's mm -hmm. applicable in everything. Right. They want to know that about everything. And so if you know that, you cue them. Mm -hmm. And so if they're doing wrong, you let them know. That's a boundary. And, you, and you, if they're really egregiously out of bounds, it's, an egregious, it's sort of a reaction that matches it in a way. And then it's over. Hey, this is not to be done. You know the rules. You know the rules say uh, it's an attendance thing. We can talk about that later. But the, an attendance policy that says this, this, or this, mm -hmm. and now I'm, you know you know this, and I will hold you accountable. And they go, oh yes, and then they know that's the line, and they don't cross it. They know that's what it is, and they like that. There's comfort in that. They like that. You have to mean it, and they know you mean it. And then they develop that habit because if they have to make their own line, they get very squirrely. They do not like to have to hold themselves that way because they don't know how. It's well, they've never, they've, never had some, they've never had somebody who actually did that for them. Though. Right. And so when you start doing that and you hold them accountable and then you forgive them, you release them, you know, you, there's the serious motion to go, you got it? Okay, good. Now let's get back to work. Cool. 
What do you want to hear right. you know, on the music or whatever? You know, they go, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Then so they know, okay, over. Yeah. Okay. So are you going to have with that? Okay. So let's keep that in mind that we have yeah. boundaries, that we have accountability. Yeah. Real reasonable, reasonable we wanna have, boundaries. Yeah. We want to have something that's going to give them that sense of achievement and accomplishment, which yeah. will look different from every student, right? Oh, it, that's the thing, too. It looks different for every kid. Yeah, you're okay. right. It I mean, does. they may be I, similar, but I but in an alternative program, whether regardless if they're if they are on an IEP or not, you're going to have to put together an ELP, an education learning plan for each one of the students. It's almost every kid has an IEP, really. I mean, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, but I want to every kid is an individual. Yeah. Right. But let's let's keep away from that language of IEP. I, and I don't like it either. But and keep it down to an ELP or something. Yeah, I'm sure every that kid that had an ELP. Yeah. yeah. Education yeah. learning plan, because they each want to be able to set their own goals. They might mm -hmm. want to hit those. What are their benchmarks? And that's something that builds that sense of belonging, sense of accountability, sense yeah. of them working towards their 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 star. Right. Yeah. They have a, you know, there's a place you need to be at. There's a grade 12 standard. we got to get you there. So let's get there. And, um, you know, that's a writing and a reading and a mathematical mm -hmm. standard in the state of Oregon is where it was. And, and so we'll right. get you to that point. What I did to get him to that point myself was just flavor it up. Um, I enjoyed teaching a lot of English, you know, reading and writing. I let them do a lot of creative writing mm -hmm. and I would, I would make, help them form it into good stories. And um, I would also give them good reading samples too. If I had a kid that didn't read so well, I would tone it down. Um, mm -hmm. Hemingway was great for that. I, gosh, Hemingway was wonderful for kids who didn't read very well or voluminously. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of kids who can't read a lot, but boy, right. Hemingway could pack a, a lot of reading into that well, 120 pages old man in the sea kind of thing. Right. And, but that's how we got, that's how I would get students into it would be through yeah. book groups. Yeah. You get the groups and things. Well, and, we had so many, you know, the, the and I wanted them learning things going on. Kids right. But I also wanted the kids to choose a book that yeah. they wanted to read and it wasn't assigned or mm -hmm. if it had to be assigned, we would do something like the Pearl which isn't all that oh, difficult. And God. then we would read the Pearl because for many of them, um, for many of my Latino students, that would be something that they could connect to. And we, we would read that and I would be asking them questions. And for all my students, I would have them go home and find out more about their origins, about where they came from. And then they would come back in. But then I would also have them write an epilogue at the end of the book. And I've that was one of that. That's and that was one of their assignments, and it could be whatever they wanted it to be. I told, and I, I kid you not, that every single student in my class, even the kids that did not read, because I read it out loud yeah. in class, and if they missed it, I told them where we were, and they could listen to it. And later on, I started, um, I, I, if I were still teaching it, I would have the whole book recorded. And that way, if they miss something or something mm -hmm. like that, that they could listen to it online um, at home. And I would only release as much as we had gone in class mm -hmm. so they couldn't go ahead because some of them like to cheat and read the end. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's... It, Can't it's, keep them from that. <laughs> the Internet's out there. <laughs> right. But, you know, it brings up all kinds of things like what is family? What would you do with your family? I mean, what would yeah. you do? How, you know, how does poverty affect these people? What is different between their lives and your life? And so there's a lot of self-awareness, a lot of yeah. self-reflection. But we're getting off. We're jumping the shark. Here. We are. Yeah, we, we start to create things together. But yeah, so, the, the yeah. staples of a good alternative program, keeping it smaller. You can't fill a building okay. with so many people. So we keep it they do They do create the subgroups. You got the subgroups, but you don't have a school that's cohesive. And sometimes right. the kids would hold each other accountable. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. You know how those years go. Some years, you know, you got kids that, well, we all know you, you got, oh, that class. <laughs> but some classes, they're like a family and they'll, you know, one kid will do something and they'll go, hey, you can't do that. That'll disappoint Summers. Don't do that. I've had kids tell me that. 
like 10 years later, they say, yeah, you know, we hauled so-and-so in and said, don't do that. That makes the teachers upset. I went, you did that? And they go, yeah. I go, I love you. I love you so much for that. <laughs> it so, was like big time, but yeah, that's good stuff. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think, because you worked with this and I worked with it too, but it was a specific, it was a very specific population. Do you think engaging something like positive peer culture, PPC, do you think that would work in the regular mainstream classroom? Or do you think that it, it worked? It would, but it's a high rest- level of accountability. It's do you think students, yeah, and the students need to be at a certain level of being able to um, be able to deal with that. I think. Yeah, it's, you have to it's be a at a higher level. level. It's a whole nother level. Yeah, you have to be like, or else, kind of like, you don't get it. You're going yeah. to accept this, or else. <laughs> you don't, yeah. Right. And, and right. I, yeah, I think you kind of have to be at a level. I, let me put it this way. I've been at that level, but I wasn't a teenager. <laughs> right. I was, I'm actually a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right. I'm ashamed to admit that. But I was 27, I think. And I was like, I have to stop drinking or else. <laughs> and, and I know that desperate feeling. And they, you know, this, this population uses peer, mm-hmm. peer, positive peer culture. They're in a position where they have to do that. And that's Right. Really and then you also have. You also have to do the accountability where you have to go yeah. and you have to apologize to people and you have to make amends, correct? Yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> you have to go right. make those amends and do that stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a high level of accountability. I know people that are into their 60s that still can't do that stuff. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, and even parents. Okay. Exactly. So, let me ask you some more about the goal of the program. Uh, uh, okay. So, we have stuff for the students. We kind of know where we're going. What part do the parents play? Are you? Is, oh, are, it's critical because you have to bring them in, like conferences. Well, is that it? Is that no. it? You're going to have them on the periphery, and you only just wheel them in every once in a while. Oh no, 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 no. For exa- for example, conferences to keep them clued in. Um, it, it's tough to do the community things, but not so tough if you still have the small population. Um, it, it's kind of like, it, sometimes it goes with the class thing too. Um, we used to do cultural celebrations and by cultural celebrations, it wasn't called that, but you know, we had like parents doing cooking things via the students. It was kind of like if a student wanted to do a cooking project, but the parent was sort of good at it too, mm-hmm. there was a way that the parent kind of helped and oversaw it. And so we can involve parents. And there was the food handler card thing. So we didn't have the parents help, mm-hmm. but then parents kind of helped. We had like satellite involvement through parents. We had a small enough population that we got to know some of the parents. And um, some parents, of course, you know, it was kind of tough to get them to come to conferences, but then some parents were more than involved on a, like a casual level, like a really deep level. Mm-hmm. And, and they had more than one kid come through the program too, because once you get that sort of connection with it, it was a good school, you know, then I want my daughter to come here, my, my other daughter to come here. And so we had like three daughters in a row and like, you know, three, you know right. three of the family. Right. And so that parents became pretty involved in the school. What about um, respecting the parent who can't? We do that. Um, it's, there's usually something behind that too. I mean, I mean obviously the relationship is... It may be that they're, the parent has a good relationship with the child. And they don't, just don't want to come. That happens too. We well, saying, there's, well, I can think. They do uh, have to come to conferences with the child because they, we feel that they'd have to be involved, at least in the program I, I was involved with. They did have to. Well, yeah, my program too. The parents yeah. had to be there. And if they didn't, then that meant that the student was in danger of not coming back at the end of the quarter. Which Kind of like that. For, mandatory. for many of them, it was it sucked. But it also gave some depth to the purpose of the conference and it gave it some gravity it, but, it gave our program credibility it's like you know exactly this this program demands involvement right right so um but what i'm thinking is there are some parents who work two three jobs oh yeah and they don't have the time and it's very difficult for them to make it and then there's some who can but i think it depends on what kind of a job that they're working um <laughs> You know, there. I hear from different people who have students who say, you know, my parents just don't have 
the resources to be able to do that because they're working just to put food on the table. And that's where that one. There is that one. Yeah. I've, I had a couple of kids like that. I just did. I, I just worked with the kid. Usually it was a kid that was older mm-hmm. and they were used to it. It's like, this is my life. You know, mm-hmm. my parents work like crazy. I've been raising myself. I come to school or, you know, or you just realize that's what it is. And so you go, okay, I'll take it. I, I got you here, kid. I'll take you. Right. <laughs> it just happens. I, yeah. It's still necessary, though, I think, to be able to contact the parents. You try, you know, or you, you make a telephone conference. You do what you can. Mm-hmm. Take the well, kid, I you think know. that even being able to call them on the phone. Yeah. And being able to do that. I think that that's important. So yeah, you try that. Yeah, you do what you can. Sometimes okay. you, you actually, a lot of times it was interpreting through the kid through mm-hmm. the phone, which is interesting. But okay. you do what you can. Okay, so let's go back to the ultimate goal of the school and the program. Yeah. And, and that would be for the student to find achievement and accountability mm-hmm. along with the parents, mm-hmm. yeah. with parental support, the school support. And then are you also going to be involving the community in some way or another? Like, are you going to, are, are you thinking about possibly building community partnerships? My my last my last uh, program that I worked with, we went and the students would serve internships, and those internships would go for about four, five, six weeks, and yeah. the students would be out there four out of five days a week, for what two to four hours a day, and they would learn something. They would they would be okay. Let's say that they went to. A car dealership and they worked out in the shop or maybe they worked up in reception. They worked at a beauty salon. They got to follow along. They got to go to classes and get some ideas with that. They would go to a manufacturing plant and they would be able to shadow people, but they would also work in shipping and receiving. So they would learn a whole lot of different skills. Not necessarily vocational either. This is just Career right. exploration, yeah, yeah, exactly. I exactly. mean, they yeah. even went to work for the city, and well, our well, our Spanish-speaking students because they could do document translations, and they could work in that department. And they could do that. There were there were quite a few different um, places for them to go, and we did sort of put them out to um, the elementary schools to work as teachers' aides as well. And even we, though, even the that. ones, yeah. even the ones who said that they didn't want to do it, that they hated children, the majority <laughs> of them did really well. There was one student who I sent to, it was a daycare for people with mild dementia and for toddlers. And I got a call from them and they said, could you come out here and check in with this student? And I said, why? And they said, we're not sure what's going on. And I said, okay, fine. So I went out there and the student was standing there in the corner with this look of consternation and arms folded. And I walked over to them and I said, what's going on? And they looked at me and they said, can I please leave? These kids terrify me. I am so terrified. And that was nothing that I had ever heard of before. <laughs> and so we we were able to switch with the person from the other side and put them into with the older people. But they just had this fear of children. And um, it wasn't something that we were going to be able to snap her out of. But, you know, we it yeah. was really, really positive for them. And then there were the students who just couldn't do it. They were unable to, and so they weren't able to stay in the program. We did what we could. Um, Your pro- they, their program was connected with those experiences outside there. Exactly, because and many of them, many of them were offered jobs outside. We were able to. Um, there was a point, and it happened just before COVID hit, and that was for. I was meeting with an HVAC company. And for kids to get their HVAC uh, permit or license or training, they would have to go to the community college and get that. Mm-hmm. And what this company was saying was they were in such dire need for technicians that they would that they were working with a network of other com- heating and cooling companies, and they would work and they would train students on the job 
as part of their internship. And they would work with them for X amount of time. Then they'd work with another one for X amount of time, et cetera. And they would be able to graduate from high school with their certification. Wow. And, wow. How and, cool for them. And I said, hot diggity dog, let's go. And then COVID hit. And I called them and they said, oh, this is just a mess. So, and then coming back out of it, it was, you know, they were having issues, yeah. but but they're busy and they're doing really well. But still, there's still a lack of, um, there's still a lack of skilled labor and companies are out there. So if you want to figure out how to figure out a partnership with many of them, you could do that and maybe add that in some kind of branch or arm of your program as well. So are you going to connect with the trades? Are you going to connect with careers? These are things that you can also put in there because the students get elective credit for that. And it depends on the hours that they're out there that they that determines those credits. And there's a whole bunch that goes with it. So these are all things that you can put into the school and the program. And that also helps the community buy into your program because they're getting something from it. The students are getting something from it. And it gives you um, right. more accountability for yourself. And I was thinking you, about that. Yeah. And I know that that was a, that was an angle that you, you had for a long time. I know that that was mm -hmm. a program that you ran. And then I ran a program that didn't necessarily have that. And I was thinking, okay, but and then I was know, thinking, okay, the common thing about that is it's the commitment. And so what's one of the basics that you have to have in an alternative program that you don't necessarily have, <clears throat> excuse me, in a public school program or just a regular school program. In an alternative program, you have to have a commitment. Um, and that, that commitment has to come in the form of uh, a contract. We had a contract per se. We called it an attendance agreement. Our program had the attendance agreement. It was a um, absence count, and then it was a contract, and then it was an enforced contract. It doesn't, the details aren't necessary, but the kids knew that when they were coming close to violating their contract, they could be released, and we did release some of them on attendance violations. But and it was a it was a it was agreed upon contract, but it was a commitment. And with you, it was a commitment to you said that. Some kids just couldn't do it, and we had to let them go, you said. Right. There right. it is. That's because a commitment they were... to the program. We do a certain thing here, and if you can't do it, then you have to find someplace else to go. It's no hard feelings. It's not that you failed. It's just that we do something here, and that you have to commit to that. And if you can't do that commitment for whatever reason, we'll find something else for you to do, you know, go somewhere else. Because we here right. we have a commitment. Yeah. There it is. Right. But with but with that last program that you were with, yeah, the one that I was with earlier. Oh, that's a different one. But I, I was talking well, about the general. But no, I had. I still had community involvement. Oh, and what I <clears throat> so what I did was I joined a business association, and I went in there, and you know you might be able to use Rotary. That's one way of of getting community involvement going. But when I was working with the students in, uh, in residential, um, I went to this business association and I just talked at my program and I said, we need speakers. We need people to come out and talk about their careers and what it is that you do. So, um, and this all started because I knew somebody who was an architect and they designed shopping centers and I said, you want to come out? And they said, I'd love to. And rather than talk about architecture and design, they talked about communication and the communication between being an architect, talking to the client, and then you talking to the contractor to build whatever it is. And so it was fascinating because People took on two different jobs and we had kids partnered up. And so the, and we did it with paper bag masks. And so the contractor would talk the architect through and the architect would draw what they believed that the contractor was telling them. And then they would show that and give that to 
the contractor, and the contractor would build the puppet bag mask based on the drawing and the configuration that the architect gave them. And it was, I, the kids were absolutely, you know, they were like, oh my gosh, that doesn't look anything like what I said. <laughs> and it really explained to them, and it was impactful because they talked about it much later. And they talked about how wonderful it was, but just how terrible it was because they didn't even come close to what it was that they were yeah. supposed to get. They probably and never so, thought about it. And we could and we could use that. But you know, yeah. David talked about how that was what it was like to be an architect because you're wow. trying to give them what they want. But there were other there were other catches where they could, you know, little safety nets where they would come in and they would look and they'd say, nah, 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 let's fix that. And that, that, that. But by the same token, it was really good. But the students learned about investing. They learned about uh, car dealerships. They learned about all kinds of stuff that these people came in. They learned about law yeah, and writing. And it was fantastic for them because they weren't able to get out there. But these people were able to come in. And they and the people loved doing it, and it was free, and uh, it was well worth it because it gave me a platform to share with the community, and it made the kids feel as though they were connected as well, and that they weren't such pariahs. <laughs> they, were, you know. they were connecting. <clears throat> okay, me. okay. So we have all of this down for the goal of the program, which is success to have community parental. <laughs> And and um, boundaries. sense commitment. of belonging, commitment. Okay, so now we have all of that because the achievement is supported by all these other pieces. I now, have, um, uh, here's another one. Um, achievable goals, gradual achievable goals. <clears throat> and and, and um, here's one. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. We had four week intervals that we looked at the goals. Right. So the kids were to make their credit credit in four week intervals, mm -hmm. which made them very easy to see, which gave them about an eighth of a credit, right? 0.125. Right. Of a credit, eighth of a credit for yeah. each class, for each class that they were passing and, the, and each class. So we didn't actually say you had to have so much in this class or so much in that class. It's more like, you know, combined. And so it was really kind of easy to do. You could kind of let one, one exercise slide and do a little bit more of one. So some kids would really attack the class they liked, but you had to tell them, you know, hey, don't get too crazy about that subject. You owe, you know, so-and-so an assignment or two, so get on that one. But yeah, okay. 0.125 okay. credit. So it was bite-sized. They could see achievement, like you said. Okay, so right now you're starting to get into more of the nitty gritty. Well, I'm and thinking going, like, just make I'm sure they know the they, where they're I want at to all go, Right. I want the big picture. And then we're going to work our way down. So we'll get to that in a little bit. So we, oh, have okay. the ultimate, we have the ultimate goal of the program. And then what's your mission statement? That's the next biggie. Oh, so mission statement. I hate those. <laughs> what can you say? Yeah. Boil it all down into one statement. Yeah. What can that be? So... That is where you're going to have to put all your heads together and determine what is it that you, what is the function of the program? And when you come back from it, the one thing I'm going to caution everybody is how student-centered is it? Because if it's not student-centered, if it doesn't have anything around the students, you're going to have to start back. And begin all over again because everything should be about the students everything should be about the student exactly because it's that's the reason you're there mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. right and so and then once you have that mission statement done and you feel satisfied and you can always go back and edit it and take a look at it right but so you know your goal you know your mission statement and believe it or not but when i took over this my last program one of the first things we did was we developed our mission statement because I said, I don't see a mission statement here. We're going to do one. We already know what our mission is. We already know what our goals are, 
and we're going to refine those. We're going to do a little bit more with those, but we need to refine the mission statement. We don't have one. And so that took that took some time. It wasn't something that that's just going to come out from digestion. It's going to be something that really has to be thought about. And, um, you know, you really want to make sure that it's deliberate. It reveals a lot about a group. It does. Say. If, it you does. Read a, if you read a two paragraph mission statement, e, mm-hmm. you got yourself one conflicted group of people. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? then, Everyone got something in there, didn't they? <laughs> And then you're going to have to think, too, about what is your overriding pedagogy? Oh, gosh, that one's a good one. And uh, if you have an overriding pedagogy or maybe you have overriding pedagogies uh, and you're able to figure out a way to make them into a melange and to mix them so that you are not you're not you're forced you're not forced to stay within the confines of one, but you can reach out. You can use bits and pieces of another one and bring those in. Yeah. But you still need to be, you need to still find adherence. And I don't know if this is making a whole lot of sense. No, it totally does. I was just thinking you, you have to have a, a flexible group. That's well, you, the charm. They can, you have to have a really good group. No one can be very rigid in there and say, Oh, no, I got a, I got a way of doing this. And we got to really do this. Like, wait a minute, hold on. You got to be very flexible, okay. nimble. Right. And that know. brings us to staffing. Oh, yes, it does. Yeah. When, when, when you talk yeah. about, you can't have a rigid group. You're not talking at all about the students. You're talking about the staff. staff. Oh, absolutely. The staff have to be flexible and nimble, intelligent, accepting. Right. So, yeah. okay. So you figure out what your pedagogy is or what your pedagogies are. Maybe mm-hmm. they're just something that's natural and innate. Yeah. Because some some teachers just have it. They really do. They do. And I you know there's there's some some teachers are just magnets for students and they're the kind of teachers that students will remember for years to come. And because they make an impact in one way or another on those mm-hmm. students. And then some and, teachers are, yeah. Um, and yeah, and and I mean, you and I were talking a while ago about one teacher who um, who is almost seen as the role model of all teachers, and his and this is a teacher who's also a coach. His uh, father is a coach. Oh yes, yeah. And their son, his son is um a major sports player yeah and the family the the nicest people in the world a that you would ever family meet. all i mean accomplished good people everyone oh them. yeah oh i mean you bump into his players because he used to coach um at the college level and the high school level. And at the high school level, mm-hmm. and his former players and the semi-pro level. Come to think of it, <laughs> from the college, they yeah. they love him. College and high school level, yeah. right? Yeah, and so and so you know all three levels. <laughs> just because you have one teacher who's like that, yeah, doesn't mean the rest of them are going to fall into line. No, no. In fact, there's some teachers that are jealous of those teachers, <laughs> and they kind of. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, fun. you have. It's like and, any and, other place, people. It's like any other place. <laughs> and you can't. There's no room for backstabbers. No, and but there are backstabbers amongst this profession. Uh, and you know, there was you know there was one thing that I had. Um, we had at this one program where I worked, and our director, she, we would have our early Monday morning meetings, and before the students would come in, and one thing that we were given at the beginning of the year was a goat. We were given a small pewter goat in a purple velvet bag. And later on, I went out and I was doing a lot of crafty stuff with paper mache and I made a goat bowl. And so I made this bowl that we would keep in the middle of the meeting of the conference room. And what would happen is we were all allowed one day a week or one thing a week 
where something or somebody got our goat. And that was it. Nothing else was allowed to get your goat. And so when something got your goat that week, you had to put your goat in the bowl. And in order to retrieve it, you would do that early Monday morning, and you would have to confess what got your goat. (laughs) Which was fantastic. And sometimes it was another teacher. And so it was a way to work that out. But, you know, being able to do things as a community, being able to do stuff together. um, And I'm only saying this because staffing is a community in itself. And if you don't have everybody working with each other and doing stuff with each other, if you have a lone person who's not doesn't seem to be fitting in, what's the reason why they're not fitting in? What is it their fault or is it or are they being excluded for a reason? You know, sometimes you get sometimes I was I was the only guy and I it was like, okay, fine. And there was some exclusion that went on with that. And some people said, well, you know, you're a guy. And I said, yeah, so. But you have to be able to do things together and work together. And everybody should feel as part of the community because you want your school to be a community, right? Absolutely. What what would we tell the students? What would we say to the students? I always think that but my, I, I live by the golden rule anyway, but mm-hmm. if I'm an adult, I say, you know, well, you're a guy. What? Or she's, yeah, but summer, she's a girl. Uh, what? Uh-huh. Does, excuse me. Oh, exclude her by all means. She's the other gender gentleman. Separate her from you. Come on. Yeah. How do you, Guys, dudes, dudes. How, how do you convince people that you or that other person doesn't have cooties? I mean, yeah, right. It's like, I mean, sometimes on. it, yeah. And so you have to take it away from that grade school, middle school mentality. I've worked with somebody for many years who still has a very much, um, uh, they are a pre-tween as yeah. far as how they view the world. And it's absolutely suffocating. Mm-hmm. So you, and if I had my druthers, they would have been transferred. Uh-huh. I watched a teacher behave like a child. She shamed a parent about their their kid, and it was in the middle of the room. They, she was very not good at having any kind of expertise at it, and she wasn't even in private doing it. And the parent was crying, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, you have no skill at this, and you don't even know to go to a private place to do it. it right. There, yeah, and you need to be able to have – you know, and there there are boundaries that have to be followed. Where yeah, I've, I've had people, <laughs> I had a teacher who would scream at me <laughs> in front of every. I had two who would scream at me in front of everybody, and I'd be thinking, "What is your problem? Why are you doing that?" Yeah, you know, and and so I would talk to them, and they'd say, "Well, you didn't say anything earlier." I said, "No, because that was in front of the children." Yeah, you and have I to want- be at least an example of a mature adult, if not a real mature adult. And it's like you don't do that in front of the students. Yeah, you you don't do that. You so have to be an adult in front of children, especially these kids. Yeah. And so my because you have to set an example. How do you resolve conflict? Yeah, yeah. And it's not healthy when you have a co-teacher or a staff member who throws a temper tantrum Mm. in public and gets all snippy. So these are all things that you really want to watch out for. So um, it's and I think that that needs to come down to evaluation and, you know, just staff meetings and having open lines of communication and for people to be able to understand and listen to each other and and have regular staff meetings where people can do that. But you have to have an administrator or at least a leader who will be able to take these and they're able to assess whether or not the staff is really an appropriate staff for the program. That's, I think, where the, the critical error was made in the situation I was in. This is because I handled it in a very patient mature manner and I was headed off at every turn by the the larger group thinking that they were in the right and they were clearly not and the administrator thinking that they were too and they were right. clearly not. 
I mean, clearly not. I mean, yeah. the behaviors I was seeing were clearly out of bounds, mm -hmm. but the majority of them were doing it, including the administrator. Therefore, they thought that was the way it was done. Right. And so what I'm discovering, and, and this was in my last position, is that the administration went after teachers who talked a really good game mm -hmm. and did more and and they liked the, they liked teachers who did things for the students, but they put them to the side. They wanted teachers who had the same mindset that they did, mm -hmm. which was that they came first and they saw everything as a hierarchy, and the students were the lowest possible, and the alternative students were the bottom. But they would praise them when it was convenient in public, but there was very little said about them the rest of the year. Hmm. So, and um, it's, it's really interesting because you can weed out the virtue signalers and the people who are doing it for their own ego because you, what you really want are teachers who are committed yeah. to the mission and to the goals of the program and the students are there, but yeah. you know, you have, it's like dealing with delicate clay because you need to be able to help them get there. And it's not about you and how you look. It's about making the students shine. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is too, is that you can't involve yourself so much with the student to become codependent. Um, Want to fix them so much. The problem I had with the people I was working with was that they were they were just enabling. They wanted to do everything for every student at all times. And they were just mm -hmm. so wrapped up in it. I'm going, wait a minute, you're a teacher. You're not a, a minister and a teacher and a parent and a sister and a chauffeur. And, a, you know, you're not all the things to this student. There's not everything that you can do. You're an advocate and a teacher. If you can't do up to a certain point, find somebody who's better at it. And, and, and get them to that, but you can't do everything. And they were trying to do everything for everybody. And that's not a good thing to do. You no, you don't go do to any good for point. anybody. Yeah. Right. You go yeah. to a certain point and then you determine whether or not you're going yeah. to be able to do that. And then you start looking for other resources for that student. Yeah, They were going up to and including going to the, the, the student's house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. With bus tickets and things like that. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, that's a good way. You might get shot doing that. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> that's the time I got kind of what you did. What? You, you get shot doing that. I'm just saying, you know, as a paramedic, I used to do Well, I have to tell you. Step to the side. Yeah. I have to tell you, I did that, but I would call the student first and tell oh, them absolutely. I was on my way yeah. and that I would be there. And they knew my car. So they'd be out there waiting for me. I'd give it to them. We'd talk and then I'd leave. Yeah, I wasn't saying I, that, you know, like every neighborhood sketch, but I'm saying you don't walk up the doors. And, right. I didn't. I never left my car. Yeah. I, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So here's where we are. Yeah. We made it through a small portion of where we were going. We got almost to halfway with where we are today, and we still have more. I think. I think we covered the goal of the program and getting that going, the mission statement. Um, pedagogies and how to incorporate others, I think that that is something that is going to be peculiar to every single program yeah. and, every single, and every single staff. And then the staff. Um, the staff really is the linchpin, and especially the administrator and what their view is. And mm -hmm. I believe that the staff in an alternative program and an alternative school they need to have they need to be able to have a leader who's going to inspire confidence and that they can defer to yeah. because far too often i've seen people come into programs where they automatically assume they know everything and they want to take over and that's just how they are and it doesn't necessarily work so well for all the students and so they miss a great deal of what's going on. But it also says a lot about who they are as a person, that they are, it's more ego for them than it is something about being there for the kids 
and trying to do what's best for the students. Right. So I think that's one of the, um, I think that's one of the red flags, perhaps. Um, but yeah, you want it because we didn't talk about the leadership yet. So I think that in our next episode, we should do part two of the foundations and uh, begin with leadership and what we should look for in a leader. What do you think? I like that. Okay. And then we have some other pieces that we are going to do on the foundations. And I hope that people found this to be relevant and it gives them uh, food for thought. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of those things. And if you are in a program and you're wondering, where are we going? Um, hopefully this gives you more of a plan to uh, start considering what you might want to put together and come up with some ideas. And we're not going to give you specific. I mean, we gave you some specifics of things that we did, but hopefully it generates a maelstrom of ideas that are percolating and coming into your head like a hurricane. And somehow when all the winds die down, you have something that looks really cogent that works for students and that can work for you and the rest of the staff and the rest of the program. That's what we do. So, we throw in a big fan. <laughs> yeah, except sometimes it gets left and we get thrown in. Um, <laughs> Works for us. <laughs> so we, <clears throat> we hope to see you again next week when we will continue this conversation. And uh, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to give us a rating. And because that's how people can find us and we are here for you. So let us know your thoughts. Give us some ideas of more things that you want us to cover. And we will see you then. Until then, ta-ta, ciao, auf Wiedersehen, adieu. Aloha. There we go. Okay, bye-bye.